My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest here, uh, I, I'm Dave, and uh, I get to bring the word uh, to us this morning. So, um, in prepping uh, for this morning, which I used to do this every week, and I don't do it every week, but I was praying through um, what we're going to talk about and teach on this morning. And it had me thinking of the Olympics. Uh, the Olympics are happening this summer, yes? Any Olympic fans? Yes? Seriously? All right, all right, yeah, me too. Uh, one of the things I love about the Olympics, um, this actually happened at the Grammys some this year, so for those of you who are not into the sports, uh, I'll talk about the, the musics as well. Uh, but what I love about the Olympics, um, obviously the performances are amazing, um, what these people are able to do, but it's actually all of the things, the stories and the ways that the uh, videographers and storytellers actually capture the stories of these people behind and what's going on that makes their performances even that much more compelling. Who they are, where they came from makes actually what they're doing and what they're accomplishing more powerful and more meaningful. So I don't know what they did, you know, 50, 60 years ago. They couldn't tell the stories the way that we're able to tell stories now. But that's really what I love about the Olympics is, is like, what are the stories behind these people who are doing these amazing things? Well, it's similar to what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, because this morning we are talking about the story. Uh, we're in a new series in Matthew, looking at the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first of the Gospels in the New Testament, which a gospel is a book that is written that focuses on the life and the work of Jesus Christ, Right? But this is the story, right? The story of God and his work in the world, the story of redemption, how God is redeeming the world, uh, recalling the world unto himself after creation and after the fall. And we'd argue this, I, I believe this, I believe this about you, whether you believe this about you, and the Bible believes this about you. This is the story that if you don't know this story, if you're not familiar with this story, then you're going to have a really hard time understanding your story because your story only makes sense in the context of this story. This is the story in with which all other stories find their meaning. And we've titled this um, series Good News, Great King, right? This is the good news of who Jesus Christ is, and also he's coming as a great king. And so we're looking this morning, what we're about to read is the birth narrative the birth story of Jesus, and it's told by Matthew specifically through the lens of Joseph, who was Jesus' adoptive father. It's told through the lens of his experience, which is important for us, right? I want you to, we're going to be putting ourselves a lot in Joseph's shoes to try to understand and experience who is this Jesus who is coming, right? It's told by Matthew specifically through the lens of Joseph, his adoptive father's experience, and really of Joseph having to come to grips with the reality that the one, the one, right? The Messiah, the king, the deliverer of Israel, of God's people, that, that God's people had been waiting on at this point for centuries. That that was actually God himself that was going to take on flesh and was going to break into his creation and break into Joseph himself's life, obviously married to, life and story in the most unthinkable fashion. All right? So Courtney Austin. Yes, Courtney, come on. Yes. You, woos for Courtney. Uh, she is going to read, this is Matthew 1, 17 uh, through 25. 
know how to do it. <laughs> this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, um, we are here uh, before you and before your word. Uh, you know uh, what our hearts need this morning. You know where they need to be encouraged. Uh, you know where they need to be confronted. Uh, you know where they need to be comforted um, and consoled. And you know where they need to be challenged. Uh, and I know you've used this uh, text in my own life this week uh, in ways uh, that have gotten into the dumpster fire of Dave and done good things. Uh, so would you do that this morning? Uh, I preach and say these things by faith in you, uh, not in myself. Uh, and I pray that you would birth faith in us to trust that you are, uh, even though you work in ways that many times uh, are deeply challenging for us to understand, you're good, you are God. Uh, and you are working out something that is infinitely greater than we could ever ask or imagine. Uh, may we believe you uh, and take you at your word in your name. Amen. All right, so here's how we're going to go about this this morning. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about what does this story tell us about Jesus, uh, but I really want you to continue to listen to it through the lens of, consequently, then, what does that say about us, right? How could or should... Or may this actually impact us, specifically because of how we see it impacting the life of Joseph, okay? So, three things. Jesus is God with us. That's in here. Jesus is God for us. That's in here. And then lastly, uh, Jesus is God of us, all right? That he is God with us. He is God for us, which I think we all can naturally get a little familiar with, but this last one, and he's to be God of us, okay? So Jesus is God with us. So verse 23, uh, let me reread this. Um, and she will bear a son. This is uh, during the angelic visit, right, uh, to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what <clears throat> the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Here it is, verse 23. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right? So what is Matthew doing here? Matthew is actually quoting Isaiah 7, 
part of Isaiah 8. It's like a bit of a mashup. But what Matthew is doing is, is he's basically identifying and he's saying, hey, what's happening right now is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He's anchoring what's happening in the current in the historic, right? And this is, at this time, let me just give us a frame of reference. This is after about 400 years of silence. There's been no prophets. There's been no man of God, no priests uh, who have any fresh revelation. God has been quiet for 400 years, right? If you remember, Jeremy preached through the genealogy last week, and it, you got that sense of how much time has actually elapsed. You ever seen a time-lapse video where they like set up a camera and they take a picture of like the changing weather and it looks like it's happening really quickly, but you know if you were actually watching that in real time, it's like you'd barely be able to see anything happening. That's how the Jewish people felt at the time. Nothing's happening. God, where are you at? We are just doing the religious rigmarole of the Old Testament, right? So you could say the Jewish people were anticipating the Messiah, but I'm going to argue, were they? Like, <clears throat> when I have to wait more than a couple of hours for something, I usually am kind of like, eh, I'm going to move on to the next thing, right? <laughs> so think about it, 400 years. I have a hard time waiting for something to upload on my phone for four seconds. <laughs> so it's hard for us to fathom kind of the mentality that they were in, but I guess historically speaking, they were anticipating a Messiah that was to come in the line of David, right? You, you see that where he reminds Joseph, right, that you are in the line of David? Where does he say that? Joseph, son of David, right? And so, yes, in the bloodline of David, but likely it was even more than that for the Jewish people of the day and for someone like Joseph. It was not just that the Messiah is going to come in the bloodline of David, but he's actually going to come like David, right, in the archetype of an Old Testament king. Jewish people would have known kings a couple of different ways. There were lots of good kings and there were lots of bad kings, but every king that came in the Old Testament who came into the life of his people came with power, they came with an army, they came to subdue the enemy of the day and to rule, right? So this is the kind of king, I don't care how, what you were waiting for, you were waiting for that kind of king to come, whether you were waiting or not. So a king to come, a Messiah to come in the line of David was not just in the bloodline, but in this archetype of an Old Testament king. A Jew in Joseph's time, you could maybe say it like this, we were in Revelation last fall, they were actually waiting for the second coming of Jesus, right? Not the first coming of Jesus. Send, send me, you know, uh, fire eyes and sword tongue and furnace feet and white horse Jesus, right? Like that's the Jesus that Joseph and Israel were waiting and not the one that came. So when this angel visits Joseph in a dream and tells him, hey, this is how this is about to go down, right? To say that would have been a shock to Joseph's system is a, is a I don't even know how to put a language to it. It would, be so, would have been such a massive understatement to say that it was a shock to him. So first of all, it was personally going to be a shock to him, right? Remember, we're talking about God with Joseph. Hey, I'm here. I'm here, Joseph. I'm with you, right? I have lots of ideas of how I want God to be with me. God is with Joseph right now and coming in such an unlikely fashion. So personally, this would have been just fraught with individual like confusion and utter disillusionment for Joseph, right? Because basically what this angel tells Joe 
I'm going to call him Joe from here on out. Hey, God has signed you up for a really special part in redemptive history, Joseph. You want to hear about it? All right. Did you guys see the little kid Milo, the little English kid? This was all over the internet during Christmas where he was the, the little British kid who had gotten a part in the nativity. Who's seen this on the internet? Yes, he gets in the car and his mom's like, hello, Milo, how's your day at school? And he's like, fine, mom, you won't believe the part I got in the nativity. And she's like, oh, really? He's like, yes, it's a classic one. It's a classic part, right? And she's like, oh, he's like, guess, guess which one? And she's like, uh, Joseph. And he's like, no. She's like, uh, the wise men. And she's like, no. It's like the innkeepers. Like she's going down like, how far away from Classic Park can you get? And he's like, no. She's like, it's a classic part, right? And finally he goes, I'm door holder number three. <laughs> and she was like, oh, Milo, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wonderful. Were you excited when you got that part? He's like, yes. I was like, right, lad, come on, get in there. <laughs> and then he actually goes on to explain he doesn't even think he's going to be a door holder. He's going to be the door. He says, I, I'm going to have to dress in brown and I'm going to slam in Mary and Joseph's face, right? I mean, that's kind of Joseph here. Like, I, I'm getting signed up to be door holder number three, right? Hey, Joseph, I got this part for you, special part in redemptive history. Here's how it's going to go. Your wife is going to have a child and it's not yours. Now, as much as theology as you want to smack around onto this, just put yourself in that, in that place for a second. Maybe some of you have been there, right? Where you've found out something that shocking and that catastrophic, right? Because it says that she was found, right? Most scholars believe this. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We know that he goes on to explain that it's going to come from the Holy Spirit, but most people believe that the Holy Spirit wasn't the first person to tell Joseph this, that Joseph found out, which would have been a public thing, or at least within the family sort of thing, right? So this angelic visit came probably after the discovery of the pregnancy. And so for Jewish law, Jewish custom for a man in that day, to be betrothed in that day and age, right, was way, way, way more serious than being engaged as you and I understand it, Okay? they would have already gone through a public ceremony where they would have taken vows, pledged publicly before witnesses to be married. It was a binding thing already at this point. There would have been a dowry paid, right, to the bride's wife. So money would have been exchanged, not in a purchase sense, but in an honoring sense, right? I'm, I'm giving, so they, they were like, they had put all their reservations in on, you know, the rehearsal dinner, I guess, you know. They'd, they weren't going to, there's non-refundable deposits, if that makes sense, right? They weren't just engaged. They were for all practice, practically pur like purposes, they were already married at this point. They were awaiting to consummate the marriage, it says that in there, and enjoy the full privileges of marriage. But they were actually pretty much married at this point. So for Joseph, right? Think about this for a second. Your dreams, your ideas about how you want your life to unfold are over. This is not a speed bump. This is a complete and utter detour from everything that you thought about how this was going to go. Shock, humiliation, 
total hijack of your agenda for your life. Now, if you're like me, right, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just trust that Joseph was a human being, right, it would be real easy to just turn inward right now, to get very self-protective, to get very angry. Even the word there, the word it says, as he was considering these things, right? Remember, but as he, verse 20, considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. That word considered is literally only used in the form that it's used in one other time in the New Testament. And it's when Herod was considering what to do to the Magi when they didn't return after he commanded them to go find out where Jesus was at so he could kill Jesus. Herod was furious. So considered is a very, very vanilla English word, Right? It's basically this, uh, as Joseph was fuming with anger over what was going on, the angel appeared to him. As Joseph was dealing and trying to come to grips with, have I just been betrayed by my wife? The angel comes to him. And when the angel comes, I'm going to be honest it's not an entirely calming or uncontroversial answer that he gives to Joseph, is it? Like, hey, 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 cool. It's not what you think. And it's not what you think, right? It's not another man, but it's also not something you've ever considered before in your life. The Holy Spirit, which is to say the third member of the Trinity, which is to say God himself is authoring this birth. God himself is coming Emmanuel, God with us, through this virgin birth somehow. Hey, don't worry, Mary didn't cheat on you with another guy, but God did sign you up for adoption a little earlier than you thought. Now, if I'm Joseph, sorry, this thing doesn't fit my ear anymore. Jeremy, do you have big ears? Tiny ears. Old tiny ears. If I'm Joseph, here's what I'm doing. I'm going, hey, my parents are in the other room, Angel. Would you mind going over and kind of bringing them up to speed on some of what you've been sharing? And Mary's like 10 streets down, right? And I'm sure, I don't know if you visited her yet, but her parents would love to know. <laughs> Me and her father-in-law are trying to get off on the right foot, you know? I mean, seriously, think about it. Think about this. What is being asked of this guy? We don't know his age at the time. He's probably not quite as young as Mary. But he's not probably 60, right? Like, he's a young dude trying to come to grips with, what in the world is, is happening to me? And I'll, I'll say more about this here towards the end of the sermon. Um, and the, kind of the third point, God of us. But if the way that our lives are unfolding, we have emotional difficulty or issues with, right? Anger, fear, uh, a sense of what the is going on. Um, let me just say this to you. One, that's normal, <laughs> and it's totally allowable, right? You don't see the angel shaming Joseph here, right? Or God shaming Joseph. He's saying to him, hey, man, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I understand. I understand you don't understand. So it's, it's totally normal and allowable. It doesn't worry God. Your anger doesn't worry God, right? 
or disqualify you from his love or his plan. That's also true in here. But the third thing is also true, and it's this, that God, it also doesn't make God wrong or God not real or God not good because his plans might be at odds with yours. So I can be as angry as I want to be. I can be as overwhelmed as I want to be. I can feel all the feels, right? I call this my beliefs, right? Some of you have been around long enough to remember me talking about my beliefs. My beliefs are real strong, right? Joseph has a lot of beliefs right here, right? Because what his idea of his life and the way it's going and the way that it ends up going is very, very different. But ultimately, his beliefs, his feelings that were his beliefs, you see those give way to faith, which is not... I all of a sudden feel entirely differently, but with all of my fear, with all of my potential doubt, anger, questions, everything, I still walk towards what God is calling me to do. That's God of us later. So, personal, individual confusion and disillusionment, the same for his family, right? He would have lived with a family at this time. The common practice would have him been adding on to his father's house to bring Mary home. So this plan to divorce Mary quietly, this would not have happened in a vacuum. It's not like he went away for a few days and concocted this. This likely would have been a discussed thing with his family. Fathers and grandparents sitting around trying to wrestle with, what do we do? Because under Jewish law, under Old Testament Mosaic Jewish law, Mary could have been put to death for this, right? It was only Roman rule that spared that because they couldn't evoke that. But divorce would have been expected in this situation. So what you see, because it says there that Joseph was a righteous man, right, or a just man. What you see in Joseph is, is I'm trying to actually do, think it out, wrestle with, what does it mean to be righteous right now? And, you know, in him not wanting to put Mary to shame, what does it mean to be loving, right, and to be merciful, How do I uphold what Jewish law requires, right, and offers me? And yet, how do I actually pay attention to my heart that is still bending? I mean, you just have to imagine this, that he loved her. How do I do this and this? How do I hold both of those tensions? What's right and what's just and what I deserve and my rights? And what do I do with this woman that I love and that I'm going to be married to? Regardless of what decision he would eventually come to, you realize that this was inviting all sorts of shame and speculation on their family, right? And then lastly, let's move out Joseph, family, and then like national. This would have been national disillusionment and disappointment for Israel. To say that the king of the Jews was coming as a baby to a not yet fully wed 15-year-old and her humble carpenter-to-be fiancé from Nowheresville. That would not just have been a national disappointment, it would have been a scandal. It would have been unthinkable, right? Remember, this is the time of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament where it was temple worship and everybody had to cleanse themselves perfectly just to even make their sacrifices and that the high priest was the only person who ever even got to go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelled and he only did that one day a year on the Day of Atonement, 
right? So God, God was not somebody that you got to get close to. God was completely and wholly other. So much of the, that a first century Jew would not even use God's name on their lips. I couldn't even say the name Yahweh. So for Joseph to go, hey, guess what? Uh, Mary's got a baby inside of her and that baby's God because the Holy Spirit conceived God inside of Mary, right? This idea of God becoming a human and taking on flesh, it just wasn't unlikely. It was offensive to a Jew. It was ridiculous. And yet, if you believe the Bible, that's what God said, I'm doing. That's my plan for salvation. I am coming to be with you like this. I am getting down into your situation like this. I am getting down. I know I'm wholly other. I'm taking on this form this way. So for us, we have to ask the question, why? If that's God with us, why did he have to be with us this way? Point two, why is this? Jesus is God for us. He's not just God with us. He's God for us, right? Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will what? This is the mission of Jesus. This is the name of Jesus, right? This is why Jesus came. He will be what? The one who saves his people from their sins, right? Give him the name Jesus. Joseph, you're not even gonna get to give him his name. He's already got a name. I'm the father, you're the adoptive father. And here's his name. His name is his mission. He will save his people from their sins. This is what God for us actually truly means. Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. So when a first century Jew would have heard the name Joshua, they would have thought of right, crossing over into the promised land. Like this is the one who is going to deliver the promises of God to us. But how is he going to do it? How is Jesus going to save his people from their sins? Well, we're getting, getting, getting a little bit of a clue into it right now. We think of the humiliation of Jesus on the cross. That Jesus was humiliated, put to death uh, for our sins on the cross. And he was, but let me say this, it started here. His humiliation started here. I am coming down, I am bending down, I am already humiliating myself by taking on flesh, right? So like when we take communion, like we did last week, when he says, when he says this is my body for you, he is saying this, I am for you, not just as a support to you, but as a substitute for you. I'm not just in your corner. I'm in the ring for you. you in pro wrestling, right? Tap out. You're getting out of the ring. I mean, if you think about this, and these are all the movies that I love, and I won't go on movie, movie rants, but think about the William Wallaces, right? The Iron Mans, right? The Neos and the Matrix, or Paul Atreides and Dune, which I can't wait for Dune 2 to come out. Come on, right? Katniss Everdeen's and Diana, right? Wonder Woman, what? Wh where do you think we get all these stories, right? Why are those so compelling? Why does our heart sleep? It's because we know we need somebody to come in and do something we can't do for ourselves, right? Uh, K 
Kemp's kid, one of his kids puked the bed last night, right? When you're, when you're a kid and you puke the bed, guess what you don't do as a parent? Go, you puke the bed, clean up the bed, right? Because a kid who puked the bed can't clean up his own bed. I've got to come in and do it for you, and it's going to get all over me for me to do it. Yes, that's a Presbyterian amen right there, right? Come on, amen. That's why he had to take on flesh. People ask, why the virgin birth? He had to be the one who was tempted in every way, Scripture says, but be without sin. Right? Because he was tempted in every way. I know you love to believe, and I love to believe that Jesus, because he was God, didn't struggle with all the things that you and I struggle with, but that's not true. He just didn't sin. He was tempted in every way, but was without sin. He was fully human and had the capacity to sin, to choose himself. But what did he say? No, I've come to do the will of the Father who sent me. He could have sinned and he didn't. That's what makes him who he was. He was fully man, yes, but he was fully God, right? He was conceived of the, of the Holy Spirit. He was fully God. And why did he have to be fully God? Because every man and woman since the fall was born into sin and unable not to sin. We can't save ourselves. We can't clean up the bed puke. The virgin birth was the only way for Jesus, for God, to take fully both sides of the salvation equation. For God to say this, I'm not going to lower my standards. <clears throat> I require to be in my presence perfect, sinless, righteous, holy. And I'm going to save you from your inability to keep those standards. I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to be forgiving. And how? I'm not just going to be your support system to help you get through your life. I'm going to be your substitute for the biggest problem in your life, which is your sin. You see, Jesus was not coming to be the best yet king of Israel, but the eternal king of the universe who said, I'm coming to take down the toughest enemy that most of us live obtuse to every single day, which is wrecking our lives, which is sin. Which scripture says, until he comes and gives you a new heart, new spirit, it rules and reigns in your life. Sin rules and reigns. And Jesus comes in and says, I am knocking that off the throne of your life. And if you're in Christ, it is not on the throne of your life anymore. He is. Even when you struggle with your sin, he is king. Because God understood something. There is no borders on sin's kingdom. Sin, Israel, Joseph at the day. Sin is your biggest oppressor, not Rome. Rome is not the problem. The problem isn't outside of you. The problem is inside of you. Israel was its own worst enemy. Your sin is what you need saved from. And you need to be saved not just from the wages of your sin, which is, yes, physical death, and yes, eternal death and being separated from God. Those are two things that Jesus, he took the penalty for, right? You'll be raised in newness of life and you will not be separated from God. But he also <clears throat> came to do this, right? To actually uh, defeat the death of the fact that we live deathly lives every single day. That's what sin does. Sin brings death to the life right here and right now that we were created to leave to live to live 
Sin is why relationships fail. Sin is why our bodies are decaying. Sin is why societies crumble. Sin is why addiction ravages, abuse ravages. Sin is why there are marginalized people groups. Sin is why the world is broken. Because sin does something. Sin always moves me to the center of my universe and things. And this is saying to us, this is the beginning, this is the the rumblings. Jesus is coming and saying, I was the one who knew no sin, but I will become sin for you that you might become righteous, that you might have my holiness. So that the root of all evil and all brokenness, for sin to be dethroned and for sin's wages to be paid fully by Jesus, to be satisfied, for justice to be met, God had to come in human flesh, to live the perfect life that you and I could never live, to die the death that we deserve to die, and to give us eternal life with him that we, will, we were unable to secure. That's the good news of the gospel. That is God for us. So, I gotta keep going, gotta hurry. Drink a little, drink a little LaCroix, hold on. Lastly, Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God for us. Lastly, Jesus is God of us. So, <clears throat> go with me here. I hope, I hope you will. God was already Emmanuel with Joseph, and I will, I will even argue this, that God was saving Joseph in this moment from himself. And here's how I, I know that, or here's how, why I will argue that, is the faith and obedience of Joseph and how he responds to what the angel calls him to. He says, don't be afraid, right? She's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. This is what he's going to come do. He's going to save his people from his sins. Don't be afraid to take her because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And this is the fulfillment of the prophecy, right? What we see in the life of Joseph is faith and obedience, that what God is doing here was what was not only best for Joseph, but what was best for Israel and ultimately what was best for the world, right? Joseph's actions, what he chooses to do, not necessarily how he feels. I, I, we don't have a lot of record of Joseph's emotional state here, right, beyond some of those Greek verbs I just teased out, but goes against, Joseph's actions go against all logical, all rational, and all personal inclinations, right? Right? Because all logical, rational, personal, and even, I would argue, religious, Jewish inclination would have been this. You have rights, Joseph, right? She's cheated. Publicly disgrace her. Get your money back and move on. Right? Pound of flesh. And yet, instead, by faith, he believes the angel and he acts accordingly. Beyond his understanding, not with without emotion, but beyond his emotion, beyond his beliefs, right? He obeys, and he lives by faith. That's how I know God was already with him and God was already for him, because you don't make that kind of decision without God doing something in your life. That's faith, and faith is not natural to you and I. 
I hate faith. I do. You should study your own heart because you do too, apart from Jesus. Faith is not what we want. I want control. I want understanding. I want to agree before I go, right? Scripture says faith is a gift that unless the Spirit of God is at work in you, you wouldn't naturally receive. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. The Spirit is giving birth to something in Joseph, not just Mary, right? Because the flesh, I mean, y'all, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? I have a cosmic authority problem. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Anybody to come in and say, I've got a different agenda for your life than you have, right? And yet Joseph is operating by faith, right? In a way that would look like utter madness to the world, right? It's literally like Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord. I mean, he would have known Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's what is called wisdom in Scripture, The flesh, our flesh, our world does not see surrendering your autonomy and your control to anything other than yourself as wise. Here's here's the modern proverb. Trust in yourself with all of your heart and lean on what you can only understand and agree with. In all of your ways, acknowledge yourself and choose your own path. That's in scripture called folly, not wisdom. But my flesh, it does not want to surrender my folly or my autonomy. My flesh does not want to receive the gift of climbing down off the throne of my life and defining myself or determining my life. I am like a little sovereign state wandering around every day, negotiating with all of you other little sovereigns about how we're going to get it done. And Joseph had that chance. He was the one who was the person in power in this cultural moment. And yet, what did he do? He chose weakness. He chose to be a servant. He chose to be misunderstood. He chose a path of suffering, right? You know, Joseph, did you know that you'd catch side eye every time you went to market, right? (laughs) That's what he signed up for. He chose to be a servant of the king of the universe's plans rather than demand that the king of the universe get on his. You don't do that. I don't do that unless I believe by faith that is a gift from God, that God is with me. And by God being with me, it's this. God, you get to be God. I am not God. You're going to do stuff I don't understand, I don't agree with, I don't like. But you're God and I'll believe that you're for me, that what you're doing, what you have done, and what you promise to do is ultimately for my good and for this world's best. I will only let God be with me and for me to the degree that I believe uh, that he is for me. And when I believe that, I can actually let him be God of me, right? Joseph allows the God who is with him and for him to save him Literally, not just ultimately, in that moment from himself. He says, I will let you be God of me right now. It's a, it's a remarkable submission of his plans and his emotions, his beliefs, right? To God's will and God's way. 
So when he wakes up, I mean, I love this. We love the word woke these days, right? Joseph woke from his sleep. He got woke, right, in the real way. He got woke. He woke to the Lord's and his, and his plans. What does it say? He did, he did, he named. Obey, obey, obey. Do I understand? I don't know. But I'm going to obey him. Faith always displays itself in obedience that requires faith. If what you're being called to doesn't require faith, then I'm going to tell you, it ain't what God's calling you to. It's just your idea. If you don't feel uncomfortable in what God's calling you to, you're not doing what God's calling you to do. Because it will feel uncomfortable. Anything not done in faith is done in sin, is what Scripture says. I don't need faith to follow my plans for my life. I need faith to follow his plans for my life. So Joseph does that. He keeps Mary as his wife. He adopts Jesus as his son. He faces all of the scrutiny and misunderstanding and doubt which would have followed them their entire life. Joseph likely dies way before Jesus goes public. We don't even have record of Joseph after taking Jesus to the temple for purification. He doesn't even get to see all this unfold, right? He didn't get to see like the wedding at Cana where he's like, hey, my boy can make the juice, you know? He doesn't see any of it. I mean, we laugh about that, but think about that. What would have happened to Jesus if Joseph didn't say yes? And we can hold him up, and we should in in a right way, but he is not a pillar of moral fortitude. He's a pillar of faith. And what faith is is what? It's God's work, not our work, right? So don't worship Joseph. God is at work in the lives of his people, and it looks like faith and obedience that appears like foolishness to the outside world. Last thing I'll say is this. What does that smell like? Because anything we would want to hold Joseph up, I I just encourage you to say this. Joseph, he's just, he's, He's a, he's a cloudy figure pointing ultimately to the Messiah that was going to be uh, his adopted son. Joseph, doesn't it smell like Jesus? Doesn't it look like Jesus the way Joseph is operating, right? Jesus himself who, instead of divorcing us, who was unfaithful, right? Mary was perceived as unfaithful by Joseph. We are unfaithful, Right? And instead of, in his rights and in his position of power, divorcing himself from us, putting us to cosmic and permanent shame, right, from his position of power, Jesus instead bears the public and divine disgrace of being forsaken by his heavenly Father. What? That you and I might be brought into the family of God. That is the good news of the great king who used his power that way for you and for me. Would you let him be savior and would you let him be Lord? Because Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God for us. And because of those two things, he can be God of us. Into all the places that I know we're afraid to follow him and we don't understand, but he's saying, come on anyways. Let me pray for us. Lord, Oh, my goodness. I love you being my Savior. Um, I have a much harder time with you being my Lord. I do not want to surrender. Um, 
thank you that you never tire of reminding me and reminding us of the truth. Uh, thank you for Joseph uh, and for his story. It uh, feels good to be able to identify with somebody who had to have struggled and yet uh, by faith, day by day, surrendered uh, his will to yours. Uh, would you uh, teach us patiently and graciously to surrender ours, uh, that you would be not just the God with us the way we want you to be with us, the God for us the way that we want you to be for us, but the God of us. Um, there's a world out there that is really confused. Um, they're confused by Christians who claim Jesus as their Savior but don't see him as Lord. Uh, would you make us those ambassadors of reconciliation uh, who are working out our salvation with fear and trembling uh, in a world that is looking uh, for answers and deciding that you're not real and you're not good. In your name, amen.